This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm here again with our town manager, Patrick Banger, and our digital guru, Derek Konofalski. And we spent the last episode talking about our experience at the What Works Cities Conference in New York, and I wanted to take this episode to continue that conversation and talk about data in general, how we're using it in a variety of ways here in Gilbert to make our interactions with residents and businesses even better. We hear a lot about the buzzwords, data-driven, transparency, and smart cities, so I thought we'd take this episode, talk about connecting the dots and how we're doing it here when it comes to data. So let's talk first, you know, maybe a few of the ways or initiatives that we have here in Gilbert that we're working on. Um, we have a digital roadmap that kind of sets us up to um, fo- really make this a focus area. Technology Leader is one of our strategic initiatives as well, high-performing government. So this is a big focus area of our organization, and I wanted to talk specifically about some of the initiatives and ways that we're using data to engage with our residents. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, last week we talked about what works cities. Um, I think that's kind of a great overarching, um, you know, umbrella to put all the other stuff under. But I can think of just even a handful of things that we've already done. I've talked before on the podcast about Spark App League. Um, I'm, you know, obviously really passionate about Spark. And we started Spark um, as an open data program, essentially. We wanted students in Gilbert to use town data to help us make apps or to um, make games or to just use our town data um, for, you know, town use. And so we had set up an open data portal, I think, three or four years ago that we were feeding data from, like, our fire department and um, some of our uh public safety data about crime and and things like that. Um, And we just let the students take that information and then make apps about our fire department. Our fire department app is all prototyped um, by students during Spark App League. So I think if you take that and just look at an extension of that and any data that a student might want to use as an app, um, I mean, you could branch that off into, again, more public safety data. Um, we're in the middle. We're going to be launching um, our 311 app that's going to have tons of information about, you know, any kind of issues that citizens report throughout Gilbert, whether it be potholes or um, graffiti or, you know, lights being out somewhere. Um, all that information is going to be accessible, collectible, and we're hopefully going to make it public um, as soon as we can. So, Yeah, and I have to say, going back to Spark, uh, really, I always talk about looking for partnerships or opportunities, especially in government, because you don't often have big budgets to go out and buy apps or um, pay for those types of things. So, And it was pricey. I think the first time I looked at building, you know, buying an app or services, it was, you know, $50,000 to start and then, you know, ongoing fees and thought there's got to be a better way. (laughs) And so who knew it was going to be high school students, Um, but they're a great resource to use. And we, you know, partner with Arizona State University on that. So, you know, again, so many, all of our cities are collecting this data, but how are we using it? What are we doing to make it useful? And then looking for opportunities like getting involved with programs like What Works Cities or partnering with local universities or engaging your students in your high school students or your residents to use that data and make it useful because that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. I mean, you can even look, uh, our, our fire department, um, uses data all the time 
to look at how to be most efficient in servicing all the different areas of our community. You know, it doesn't make sense. People probably think about like, oh, well, you know, how do we determine where our fire stations are? How do we determine where, um, you know, people, where, where the fire trucks are coming from or where ambulances or whatever are coming from when they go to service somebody? It's not just, oh, well, we started by putting, you know, one fire station directly in the center of Gilbert and then, you know, just guessed on the the rest of them or anything like that. It's it, we used data. We took data and information from all the calls that the paramedics and firefighters made and looked at what areas needed service and what the times were for service. How long does it take somebody to travel from one area to the other? Um, all that information is is data driven, is data based, and um, I mean, I, I, there's so much information that we still now. Um, I, I know, obviously, we're hoping to to fix this and make this information more accessible so that we can get even more eyes on it. But I know, our, like our traffic data, we have real time traffic data um, that essentially could tell us what is going on at a given intersection at any given time. But there's just so much of it that you know we have to figure out what to do with it, and you know. Personally, I know one person is not going to be able to sit there and look at it and be like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what you need to do. But that's all data that we're collecting. Um, you know, I, I think we rely very, very heavily on data with everything that the town does. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of curious to see what other things people can come up with by making data public and making it transparent. Um, because yeah, I think we have a lot of intelligent people, but we can't figure out all the solutions here, you know? Yeah. You know, Derek you and Danny, you talked about our spark app league and what we've done with that and the value that's been derived for our community. And, and those are areas, those were kind of our first foray into getting our data sets out there into the hands of people. And in this case, we chose to use high school students from across the state of Arizona, um, but to see what kind of creative ideas they could come up with and, and, you know, put those into a mobile app format to the benefit of our residents. But you think about then taking that same concept with the open data portal and, and all the data sets we can possibly um, format and, and put on there. And some of that's going to be live data as well. And you think about the sheer power of, of what could be harnessed and the value that could be harnessed and what it could do for our residents from a, um, if you had access to uh, the electrical um, uh, grid within our community. And you could see in real time data when there's power outages, where those power outages are. And you overlay that into an active, um, map GPS system. And then you could actually, you know, route around areas like power outages. You could route around an area where maybe there's, there's flood issues, but that kind of information and having access to that data will just truly be life-changing for how we operate our cities how our residents manage their lives. You know, the, the current apps out there right now will route you around traffic. If, if there's an accident that shut down a lane of, of roadway, it'll give you the next fastest route about that. And that's really what we're talking about here is harnessing the value of all of that um, to the betterment of society. And we're going to be a, a huge part in that process. Yeah, I get a lot of questions just in not just with Spark, but with the What Works Cities program in general about people asking, like, what are our goals with releasing this data? Why are we doing this? What's the point of making this data public? And the the easy answer is obviously, well, it's not my data or it's not Patrick's data. Like this is this is public data. This is this is our residents' data. Um, a government is in service to its residents, and so 
it really belongs to them. So that's the easy answer. Like we should give that to them. But then I get people that ask questions about, you know, specific data sets. Well, why do we want to make this data set public? All, all, the only thing it can do is, is you know, it can, it, all it's going to do is show the warts in the organization or whatever. Or, or all it's going to do is it's going to get people to, to dig into it and come up with conclusions that don't exist or whatever. Um, and I don't think that's the case. I think that the, the case is really, it's not just about individual data sets but about the combinations of data sets. Dana actually has a great story that she heard um, from another municipality. Um, I'll turn it over to you if you want to, um, but just about how they basically looked at some data sets that they didn't even realize and then found information that it was like, that nobody would have found out. Nobody would have known that. This was like a light bulb moment for me when I was looking, you know, trying to get myself up to speed in this area and and learning, and, and it was it was. I always keep saying it's about connecting the dots, making connections, and 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 changing mindset. But I think it really at the forefront is um, correlations, and especially when it comes to data, if you're not going to make it useful or be able to tell the story, um, then what's the purpose? So I was reading about Baltimore that they were looking at, and they were they're real innovators in this space. They kind of were the first major city besides New York to start to embrace um, more innovative uses of, you know, using open data portal. And then I said, like I said, cross, you know, connecting um, different departments. So the example was they had been collecting foster care home information, like where all the foster care um, homes were and where foster children were placed. And they collected sex offender information, the mapping of, you know, where sex offenders lived. And they were not correlating these two data sets. And no reason why other than they were being collected in two different places and there was no opportunity to bridge that divide. And basically when they had this epiphany that, wow, um, the most vulnerable population to sex offenders are going to be foster children, that this was really something important that they could figure out how to tackle by saying foster homes should not be within X miles or blocks of a sex offender and and then start to build policy around that. And for me, that was really a moment where I thought, oh, those are two things that I probably wouldn't have correlated again without, you know, making that connection and saying, oh, well, here's I'm collecting this data set and here's another. And these are two things that really need to be together. And so for me, that was a great example of how, again, if you're collecting all of this data in various places, but you're not finding a way to make it accessible or for people or departments, maybe within your organization, to make those connections or like you said, what's it going to mean if I'm collecting the traffic data if I'm not going to use it for anything? That was a real light bulb moment for me of realizing, and they do a lot of this, obviously. We talk about the the broken windows um, issue with crime, right? You start with the fixing the small problems. If you can't fix the small problems, you can't fix the large ones. And if you can start by honing in on some of those small, the broken windows, it, studies show that when you start to just fix a broken window, crime will disappear from certain areas and clean up. And then what happens? Businesses and tourism and everything starts to thrive. And I'm, I'm making that far, sound far more simplistic than it is. But it's a great example of how we can be using data to, again, make correlations and then trigger you know, prosperity and, and new business coming and, and, again, improving the lives of our residents. Yeah, and I think of that, too, another point that is fundamental to me about the entire 
premise of open data is that we kind of get into um, the habit, I think, of talking about how, you know, governments can use this data to, to find problems like this or to, to find issues like what we're talking about. But the, the entire concept of open data is that the data, what, really what defines open data is, is data that's generated by a government that has to be accessible to everybody with no barrier of entry and no, like, it's not something that you have to sign up for or subscribe or pay. You don't even have to create an account on a website to, to you know, get access to the, this information. So really, anybody could find these problems. Um, in fact, I wish I remembered, but in New York, when they first opened up their open data portal, there is a website where somebody went and every week or every month they would go in and they would run an experiment using some kind of data. And they ended up finding like a huge, um, a huge flaw with, with some of the, um, processes and in New York and they were able to work directly with the government to fix that stuff but it wasn't somebody who worked for the government it wasn't somebody um, you know that that had really that that mindset that they had a problem they were going to fix it was just somebody who saw that there was data open and they wanted to see you know what kind of different ways they could cross-reference it to find stuff one of my favorite stories is the parking meter story. Um, there was another municipality that they took uh, parking data. Um, th there, was, <laughs> there was a series of parking meters that they found were being repaired uh, on a basis that was something like three or four times more frequent than the rest of the parking meters in, in, the, in the city. And what they found was that when they ran the data, the repair data for, you know, that those parking meters or whatever, that they found that that geography happened to be in a spot that also had the most parking tickets written. And essentially, it, it wasn't just like an A, B, right to C kind of sort of thing, but they, they looked at the data and they looked at what exactly was happening. And what turned out was that those parking meters were farther from the curb than all the other parking meters in the city. And what was happening was that people were parking in those spots and not realizing that the parking meters were tied to those spots. You know, you, you walk out of your car, you look around, um, and the parking meters actually on, you know, the other side of the median or whatever. And so people would come back, get their tickets, get upset and kick the parking meter, or, you know, do whatever, um, and then cause damage. And then obviously that needed to get, uh, replaced. And there was some, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that they saved just realizing that, oh, well, this is what, what was happening, you know? So I don't remember if they put up signs or if they actually ended up moving the parking meters closer or whatever the actual um, situation ended up being, but they ended up saving hundreds of thousands of dollars just by looking at their data and fixing that. And again, I don't think it was somebody who worked for the government or the municipality that figured that problem out. You know, Derek, you, before you, then that's a great story. And it's funny, there's just so many examples or so many things that are going to be out there like that, that we're going to find, that citizens are going to find, mm -hmm. that you, businesses. But you talked about, you start rattling off a list of things, and it almost sounded like an open data bill of rights, so to speak. Yeah. And you talked about the right to access the data, the right to access it for free, um, the right to privacy. Some of the data we collect has identifiable mm -hmm. information to, to individuals and businesses and, and the importance of we're not going to release open, you know, information or we're going to redact the information that could personally identify you. But you, you mentioned that one of the first things we're going to do in working with the What Works City uh, initiative is creation of, of that policy. Could you 
elaborate on that a little bit, why that's the the first step and an important first step or Dana? Yeah, no, I, I would love for you to do that because I had made myself a note here to talk about um, fear because oftentimes when we start talking about this, we get into a lot of the, well, what if the data is misused or what if it's taken out of context or what if the context isn't provided and so you don't have the full picture, the story. We hear a lot of that kind of along the lines of like you said, well, what's, what are we trying to achieve by doing this? Mm-hmm. So I think those kind of tied together in talking about, you know, how do we overcome that that mindset to to show why why we're doing this and why you know others should too. Yeah, and I mean just to kind of bridge the gap between those two, the the entire point of of having an open data policy is to kind of address some of those thoughts or some of those issues is is not just to say, you know, you can't be haphazard and just start releasing data. You know, you have to be very very aware and very focused on on what data sets you're actually going to be releasing and why. And that's part of kind of the process that we're working through right now. But even, you know, just to to use a smaller example, when we first set up Spark and we chose um, to to release some of the data to our students, and every time there's an event, we we choose to release certain types of data um, or certain types of assets and stuff to students. And Every single time we kind of go through this almost like mini policy meeting that is essentially, okay, what data do we want to release to them? What information, you know, are we going to pull out that they don't need in order to do this stuff? Or, or as Patrick said, for privacy reasons, is just personally identifiable. But then also, again, kind of thinking about the, the why are we do, why are we releasing that data? What do we plan on doing with it? Um, you know, things like how often is it going to be updated? Is it just something that we're releasing as a one-time, which for Spark um, in the past it was just a one-time release, and then we might update it. Um, you know, in the past it was a, a 90-day program, so it would be updated every 30 days or something like that. Um, so to go back to your question, um, the open data policy is, I think, a lot like any other policy um, where you really just look at, what you're trying to accomplish, what are, what are you ultimately trying to do? And for me, what commitment do you want to make to your residents? Um, you know, what information do you think residents need or want, first of all? How are you going to release that information? To Dana's point, what's the context surrounding that information and, and how will we provide that context? Um, how often it's going to be updated? Uh, even, you know, who is going to be the curator of that information, all that stuff that essentially just codifies um, where this data is coming from, what we're going to do with it, and why we're releasing it. Um, I really, really like the fact that Sunlight Foundation is one of the What Works Cities um, organizations that they're involved with. Um, They have a great website that goes into a lot of the details about creating an open data policy and some of the whys. But my favorite kind of analogy or, or extension is just think about it as an extension of a public records policy. Anything that a government does is available to residents if they file a request for public records. You know, So how can we turn that process from being a reactive process to a proactive process? And an open data policy and an open data portal are the perfect... I don't want to say the perfect solution for it, but it's the perfect response to that rather than, you know, sitting around and waiting for people to file these requests. Let's just make that information public again without violating people's privacy and without, um, you know, haphazardly doing it. But 
but really just choosing. This is the commitment that we want to make to our residents. We want to be proactive with the information. We want to be proactive with the data. And this is how we're going to do that. Um, I actually think it's kind of uh, interesting that Arizona as a whole or that a lot of states or, or even, you know, the United States uh, federally, we have an open data policy, um, or at least we did, uh, d- data.gov. Uh, <laughs> we did, we did. Yeah, we did. Pre-November 8th, we did. Uh, data.gov was an open source um, w- website that basically, you know, wrote out the policy for the federal government in terms of data and all the information that we used in um you know, it, I think it's funny that the, maybe not funny, but the, I think it's interesting at least that cities are now kind of running with that and saying, we're going to make our information public. We're going to make this data uh, accessible to everybody. Um, and, and we're going to set up the policies that dictate this instead of waiting for it to kind of trickle down from the federal government to the state government to, you know, and so on. Um, so, I just think that the policy is kind of like that first step. Before you do anything, before you even look at any of the data that you have, it's just a very purposeful look at what your plans are, what you're planning on doing, and what do you want to commit to as a city for your residents. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you you make a great point. One of the things that we talk about in every line of work in government is trying to be more proactive instead of reactive. It's probably the biggest um, eye-opener that I had when I came to work in government. You know, we oftentimes talk a lot about changing mindset. And I think getting the buy-in from the organization for initiatives like this shouldn't be understated because it is really important, especially if you're going to start doing things cross-departmentally and you are going to start to make those connections and correlations. It's really important that you have everyone at the table and the right people at the table, which is one of the things I love about What Works Cities because we're able to make committees and be sure that we have you know, representatives from every department there. So again, right now our data efforts are kind of siloed, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, everyone's kind of collecting it, but they're not really coordinating or making it useful. So I think that's probably the case in many government organizations. And so thinking about, you know, that you make this a priority in your organization. And Patrick, that's one thing that you've done really well, I think almost since day one is talking about those buzzwords, like I mentioned, so that everyone in your organization knows that this is a priority for your residents. And um, you really hit the nail on the head, Derek, when you said, you know, and, and being more proactive. And I just think in general, when it comes to government work and serving our residents, um, whenever we can do that, and not just being here when problems arise, or being here to answer questions when the press comes calling, but thinking about how we can be out telling our story in so many different ways, not just through the use of data or video or whatever means it might be, but, you know, before your residents have a question or a problem um, to come to you that you're making their lives and their interactions with their cities easier. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that there's a big shift that's happening. And we talk about, I mean, obviously this podcast is a great example of government going digital, but I think that there's just going to be, especially in the the future coming up, there's going to be a big shift. You know, government before, I think, was a very was it was a necessity like i don't think modern civilization obviously could exist without governments and and without um kind of the the hierarchical structure of a government but i think um and sunlight foundation actually has a great term that they use for um just kind of the whole process but i think that government is going to change into 
that more proactive approach for, for everything. And I think citizens are going to become more engaged. And the, the term that Sunlight uses is uh, tactical data engagement. I, I always forget the specific phrasing, but tactical data engagement essentially is saying, you know, people complain about government all the time. People, you know, have issues with government or, or, or they have some kind of um, preconceived notions about government. Take the information that the government has and put it in their hands and then let them essentially work to fix the problems or, or, or let them work towards uh, solutions and, and making things better and being proactive. You know, it's, it's almost like what the are we next afraid step. of? Yeah. Why not? You know, it's almost the next step after being proactive, you know, whereas before we started off as being reactive, now we're trying to be proactive. Well, then what's, what's the next step is when you're really, ultimately driving you're, you're not just driving engagement you're encouraging engagement between citizens and their government by saying i don't want to simplify it too much but you know if you think you can do better great if not at least come with us or you know at least work with us and look at what we're working with maybe um you know maybe you'll learn something maybe you'll see something maybe you'll help us improve something that we didn't see before you know one of the things i think that will come about as a result of this is greater trust or restored trust in government and it it didn't start in the last year the last 10 years it's something that has been a concern for decades and decades and decades and you know the book 1984 and the famous yeah. Apple ad, you know, so that 1984 doesn't become 1984. But it's a basic premise of the information that your government collects and what are they doing with it? Are they using it against me? And this takes that information and puts it in their hands so that you can see everything we've got within, you know, reason, protections of privacy and that. But you have what we have. You can help us beyond just help us solve problems and challenges that we're dealing with, but you can understand everything that we know uh, if you're so inclined to, to get engaged. And that will help, I think, raise that, that trust um, uh, level between citizens, businesses, and their government because we all have the same data, the same access to it, and we know what we're doing with it. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, just look at Again, it's like you said, it's not something new. Look at any time the NSA or the CIA or the FBI are brought up. It's all the issue for most people is always the secrecy behind it. And yes, like we're not going to say that that there isn't some secretly secrecy sometimes that's required. You know, we're, we're not going to go spilling everything everywhere. But I think when it comes to like a local government you know, what we're familiar with, there doesn't really need to be that secrecy because once you introduce secrecy to um, any kind of government organization, that's, I think, where that where you lose that trust. Yeah. It's, well, you know, my money is paying for this. I'm a taxpayer. I live in this place. I live in this city or town or whatever. Like, I should be able to be involved as much or as little as I choose to be. It shouldn't be somebody telling me that I can't get involved or that I shouldn't be involved. I should be able to, you know, that freedom that, that our entire country is founded on. You should be able to choose your level of civic engagement. And yes, some people will will choose to be completely hands off, but others, um, you know, others may want to be engaged and may take that proactive approach. And I just think that we're coming up, we, we're already in a very, very fascinating time 
with how quickly information can be exchanged. And, you know, the internet just in general, I think, has revolutionized so many different industries. Why wouldn't it revolutionize government, too? Um, it just it seems like the natural extension. But I think we're even now just seeing the beginnings of what a truly data-driven city or a, a truly, you know, communications-based city is going to look like. And I would love for Gilbert to be, you know, obviously a good example of that. I think I think we're 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 heading we're in the right the direction. Yeah, we're definitely heading in the right direction. Um, but I just I'm really curious to see five, ten years from now what that's going to look like. Dana, that's going to be one of your goals for next year. Done. <laughs> good luck. Add it to the list. That would be amazing. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you both. And thank you all for listening. Be sure to engage with us on social media. And if you have questions or comments, use the hashtag GovGoneDigital. Also, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think about this podcast. And we'll see you soon from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital.